Thank you, Hillary. Mark chapter 11. The Gospel of Mark chapter 11. While you're turning there, just want to note, I don't know what Doug Kearns has done, but it must have been really, really bad. Because he put these flowers here for Judy. And uh, now she deserves it. There's no doubt about it. And uh, those of us who know them, we pray for Judy every day. Uh, I call Doug Kudzu Kearns because like Kudzu, he pretty much shows up everywhere you go. You cannot get rid of him. He hardly ever blooms. And he ain't worth much. None of that, of course, is true. He's one of the greatest guys I know. Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead... And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I'm not sure what year it was except that it was either 74, 75, or 76. My mother, who was and is an Elvis Presley fanatic, purchased for the family tickets to see Elvis Presley in concert at the Omni. Now, again, I don't know which year it was. Elvis played the Omni several times during that three-year period, uh, his final performance was on December the 30th, 1976, and he was dead the following August. But I remember that we battled the traffic to get to the Omni, went into a packed house Omni, and there was a lot of commotion and noise going on with the lights at full illumination when all of a sudden, right at about 8 o'clock, all the lights went out. There were a few 
lights on the stage, I remember that, and they were flashlights, lighting the way for somebody, I didn't know exactly who, to get up on the stage. And then I remember the music that came on and always came on during that last three and a half year period of the comeback of Elvis Presley. Bum 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 la And by this time, every woman in the house was on her feet. If they had cigarette lighters, they had those lit. Cell phones weren't around then, so it was a cigarette lighter thing. Whether you smoked or not, you carried a big flick to the concert. Most men were still seated. They had no clue yet what was going on, but all the women were up and And about that time, this guy in this sequined, white, unbelievable outfit with these big bell-bottom pants, bigger than a church bell, comes walking out, twirling scarves, wiggling things. (laughs) And the people were going bananas. The first concert I ever went to. During my high school days, I went to about 110 concerts. That's one of the reasons I can't hear anybody today. Have to wear these hearing aids. Some of you think I'm stuck up. You follow me up and down the Sunday school hall. You're calling my name. I don't hear you. You think I hear you. Just don't want to talk with you. But every time, the adrenaline juices in in my gut just start flowing. When the lights go out, And every performer, every band has some certain way in which they come up on the stage. I remember going to see Kiss one time. Now, don't throw me out of the church because I went to see Kiss. I was amazed because it was it, and this was at the Omni. Went in the Omni, and I looked on the stage, and usually on the stage you have these stacks of speakers from the stage way up high, and then way up from the rafters they have them hanging, you know, and and they kind of... They, they curve them down from the rafters. And Kiss had, normally had all these speakers, but on this particular day, there were no speakers on the stage at all. And I thought, they've canceled the concert. And the, and the stage, which normally is black, was solid white. There wasn't a drum set on the stage. Well, about 8 o'clock, the lights went out. Some bass... Deep bass, like the moaning of an old air conditioner. And all of a sudden, there were these four fluorescent squares that lit up on the stage. And the four members of that band, Kiss, come rising up out of the stage. It's amazing. It's amazing how a crowd can go wild when someone famous or popular, they know they're coming. They know they're about to arrive. 
And it's Palm Sunday. It's in the middle of the day, but the lights have gone out, and there's a rumble over the hillside on the eastern side of Jerusalem, somewhere in the vicinity of the Mount of Olives, and you're expecting some magnificent something, I don't know, on a big Clydesdale horse, maybe an armor, a crown. And then as the famous personality comes over the hill, you realize he's on a mule. He's on a mule. The disciples had, had secured this mule. Not only was he a mule, but he was a mule who'd never been ridden before. He was an unbroken mule. This mule didn't come prancing into Jerusalem, ladies and gentlemen. He was kicking and screaming into Jerusalem. And people were doing the craziest things. They were pulling out palm branches. Where they got them, I don't know. Started throwing them in the road. People pulling off their jackets and their shirts, throwing them in the road. And they're singing and they're shouting, Hosanna, which means either save me or help me. Save me. Blessed is the name who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes to deliver the kingdom of our father, David. The king came on the stage. His was not the only parade that went on that day. You may already know this, but as Jesus was parading into Jerusalem on the eastern side, Pilate, you remember Pontius Pilate was parading into Jerusalem in a parade of his own on the western side of Jerusalem. For you see, Passover was a religious festival. It was similar to our Christmas. And at Christmas time, just like we all try to gather around some home place, the family, to meet and celebrate and eat and, and, and think about the birth of our Savior, for the Jews, Passover was a very important holiday and people, Jews from all over the known world, would do everything they could to get to Jerusalem for the Passover week. What normally would have been a city of a population of about 40,000, about the size of Noonan, would swell to about 200,000 Jewish people during Passover week. And remember, Passover celebrated the liberation of the Israelites from Egyptian domination. And so this whole idea of liberation all through this week is first and foremost, it's on the front burner of the mind of every Jewish man and woman. And they're teaching this to their children. And there were many riots during Passover in Jerusalem. And so the Romans, who were, by the time of Jesus, dominating the promised land, the land of Canaan, they send a military battalion commandeered by Pontius Pilate into Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate's office was not in Jerusalem. It was out in Caesarea, which is a, a Roman city built on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Every Passover, Pontius has to take a military battalion on horses Full body armor, full headgear, spears, the latest weaponry, and they come marching into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday, 
except they're on the western side. Now think about that. Two parades, very different in scope, very different in attendance. The Jewish people hated Pilate for a number of things that he did. But here he is coming in with his military presence that symbolizes power, domination, authority, wealth. On the other hand, here's Jesus. He's coming in on a mule, which, by the way, before we discard that, was the animal of choice of the Israelite kings. David chose a mule over a horse, perhaps because of its sure-footedness, speculated. And when he... When he was about to die and and left his throne to his son Solomon, he told his servants, he says, and make sure that when when you have the coronation parade for my boy Solomon, let him ride into Jerusalem on my own mule. So a mule was not small change, not to the Jewish people, not to the Romans. It was kind of a laugh, kind of a joke, Saturday Night Live kind of stuff, but not to the Jewish people. And there were people there who either got it or they missed it. They saw Jesus or they didn't. But among those that saw him as well as those who didn't, there were those who received him and followed him, and there were those who didn't. Some didn't get it because they weren't there. They didn't see it, and they weren't among the ones receiving him because they simply weren't there. It wasn't that they were over in Pilate's parade. They just stayed at home that day. It's a mess downtown, honey. We don't, let's just wait. We'll go down there next week when all the people have left. You know how it is. We do that same thing, don't we? And so they missed it. There were others who missed it because they were in the wrong parade. They were in Pilate's parade. They were watching Pilate. They want to see something that's flashy, not something that's a, somebody riding in on a mule. And so they missed it because they were at the wrong parade But there were some who were there. There were some who were scattered along the side of the road who missed it. Some of them gave the shirt off their back, laying it in the path. But even they missed it. They just threw their shirt in there because their brother beside them threw his shirt in there. They just grabbed some palm leaves because their cousin who came along with them for the ride had thrown her palm leaves out in the road. They, They just did it for peer pressure. Others were there for curiosity's sake. Others were there to see if this Messiah-like person who's coming into Jerusalem through the East Gate, if he's going to be the type of person who will do for them what they would like for him to do, if he did for them what they would like for him to, then they're going to follow him, maybe even throw a coat or two in the road. But if he doesn't, then, well, these people, easy come, easy go. But there were a few people And I believe it was a few who got it. I believe it was only a few because here you have on Sunday, Jesus is coming into town and all four gospel writers describe this event and and to, to read their accounts, it sounds like there was a large number of people there to see Jesus come in, following him, preceding him, throwing their coats and branches in the road. That's Sunday, but come Friday, you don't see many of those folks around. You don't see them around come Friday. Very few of that bunch showed up on Friday. 
Even some of his disciples didn't show up for the funeral. The number of people who truly follow Jesus, not for the glitz, not for the glamour, not for what they can get out of it, not for if he can do what they want him to do. The number of people who truly follow Jesus because of who he is was very, very few. And ladies and gentlemen, it's very, very few today. Because receiving Jesus is more than just having a holy hootenanny. It's more than just having a warm fuzzy. I got to tell you, man, you know I have these pet peeves that I ought not to have. I'm sick and tired of warm and fuzzy Christians. I am, man. They come up with these warm and fuzzy stories. Thank you, but no thank you. Give me something real, man. Oh, well. It takes more than a warm, fuzzy, hey, give me five, Jesus, to follow Jesus. Receiving Jesus and following him involves more than that. For one thing, receiving Jesus implies enlisting in a different kind of kingdom. This was not the kind of kingdom the Jews thought it was going to be. They thought it was going to be something that would, a person who would rise up, gather up an army, train them in the wilderness, and overtake the Romans in short order. Put God back in control of our land. That wasn't the, uh, that was not the kingdom Jesus was ushering in. <laughs> Instead of a Clydesdale horse, he comes in on a mule. Instead of, of Roman uh, military body armor, he has an old robe that's soiled from a long three and a half year ministry. Most of the time without it being clean. He didn't come in with eloquent speech. His speech had power, but eloquent. He was a plain man. People looked at him and they wondered, where in the world? This is Joseph and Mary's boy, isn't it? What, what's going on? What's up with that? He's not a person of, of uh, high family honor. No, he's not. He comes in humble. In fact, when the Jews saw him riding on a mule, they, they thought back to the riding of Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is 400 years before Jesus. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, for your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble, riding on a donkey. Not power, but humility. Not authoritarianism, but service. That's a different kind of kingdom. That's very... Very, uh, that's very unappealing to us here in America, by the way. It doesn't sound very patriotic. It doesn't sound very prideful. Jesus brought in a different kingdom. Receiving Jesus implies enlisting in a different kind of kingdom. Are you up for it? Second, receiving Jesus implies a willingness to be where Jesus wants you to be. Mark chapter 11, in Mark chapter 11, there is a heavy focus on Jerusalem. In the 16 chapters of Mark, the the city Jerusalem is mentioned 11 times, 11 times. Four of those are in Mark chapter 11. It is a focus of Mark. 
in this chapter. Why? Because Jesus wants to be in Jerusalem. Jesus wants you in Jerusalem. But we can't go there. They don't like us there. I want you in Jerusalem. We can't go there. That's not where we'll be popular. He wants you in Jerusalem. Can't go there. There's suffering. There's an economic crisis there. He wants you in Jerusalem. In fact, you are where you are because he allowed you to be there for a purpose. Not too comfortable. I don't always like it. And quite often I complain to him about it. The older I get, the more honest I become with God. I hope he's tolerant. He sure has been thus far with this boy. Jerusalem. Being where Jesus wanted them to be. Being where Jesus wants you to be. Receiving Jesus implies enlisting in a different kind of kingdom. It implies a willingness to be where Jesus wants you to be. And number three, it implies, uh, it implies believing his words. Up at the Mount of Olives, somewhere in the village of uh, Bethany or Bethphage, small villages within walking distance of Jerusalem, Jesus pulls two of his disciples over and he says, boys, I want you to go over to Jerusalem. As you go in the gate, right there on the left, you're going to see a donkey. It's going to be tied, and uh, nobody's ever ridden on that donkey. So he's going to be jumping around a little bit. They got him tied. I want you to take him, untie him, bring him to me. And in case anybody asks you about it, tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll bring it back shortly. That's what you call a handshake agreement. Nowadays, you'd have to sign a contract for them to get that mew and uh, give them your wallet, your credit cards, your rings, and sign your uh, mortgage over to them before they'd let you have that mew. But in those days, okay, that's fine, I believe you. They take the mew, and they bring it to Jesus. Very simple. I mean, I can imagine myself, and I'm skeptical at heart, Jesus saying, I want you to go into Jerusalem. When you go in there, you're going to find this mule tied up. I want you to just untie it and get it. I'm going to say, I don't know, Lord. I don't know about that. Are you sure? Have you called ahead? But you see, if they could believe his words in a small thing like that, then they could believe his words in a big thing like, I'm going to be raised from the dead, like I'm going to come back to see you one of these days. If you can believe him in the small stuff, you can believe him in the big stuff. Receiving Jesus implies believing his words. Finally, receiving Jesus implies doing his will for your Life. The biggest problems I've ever had in my life have been those circumstances where I had a choice. God's way or my way, and I chose my way over God's way. God's way is always the way for us. This is the way it needs to be, he told his boys. This is where we need to go. This is what's going to happen. This week is going to be full of triumph, but it's going to be full of tragedy. It's going to try your faith. It did. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Receiving Jesus and following Jesus is not for sissies. It is not something for the warm fuzzy at heart who are just live on the surface of life, uh, on the superficial level of life. It's not for, it's not for those. No, it's not. It's not. 
You know what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21? He says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Man, that's, that verse is not for warm fuzzies. No, no, no. I've noticed lately, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Google. Google has, on a part of their website, they have something called Google Trends. You may have seen it. Google Trends. You go to Google Trends and you can put in any two plus items or issues or thoughts and hit enter. For instance, if you put in Jesus and peace, Jesus, comma, peace, and you hit enter, what it will do is it will, it will spit back to you immediately how many, time, how many searches have been done for Jesus compared to how many searches have been done for peace. It'll tell you what people are really looking for in life, and, it, and it has, they have been tracking this for several years. It's really amazing. They put it on, even put it on an immediate line graph for you. So I put in some things. I put in Jesus, comma, war, comma, money, comma, sex. I wanted to see how Jesus ranked in the number of searches compared to war, money, and sex. It won't surprise you that Jesus came in a distant fourth. Google will even break it down according to nations. I wish they hadn't done that because that meant they also broke it down into the United States. In the United States, sex was way up here. Money, right about here. War, Right here, Jesus was right down here. Now, we'd have to have more information before we could actually interpret that data. But just on the surface to me, what it looks like is there are a lot of us in America who when Jesus came marching into Jerusalem, we were sitting there giving the high fives, throwing our t-shirts out in the road, tearing off somebody's palm branches in the yard while they cussed at us for doing it and throwing them out there. But come Friday, they couldn't find us with a CIA agent. You know why? Because most of us are warm fuzzy. Warm and fuzzy on Palm Sunday. Wow. We better pray. Our Heavenly Father, you're looking down on a nation that has been blessed by you, but still it is a nation that is more concerned with war than we are peace. We're more concerned with money than we are addressing poverty. We're more concerned with getting our own health care financed than we are finding a cure for AIDS and cancer. 
We're more concerned with sex than we are our Savior. Lord, change our ways. Change our tune. Let us not be just giving the high fives when you come into town, but I pray that we would be on our knees, clinging to your grace when you're hanging on the cross and the disciples have fled and the times don't look so good and nobody's offering a coat to ride on and nobody is throwing a parade or a party. Lord, may we be found at your feet then too. Lord, I pray that at least in this place, there will be no warm, fuzzy Christians. God, help us to truly follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.